From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Innovators Radio Show and Podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned thought leaders, founders, and game changers committed to ideas, innovation, and entrepreneurship well executed. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggle, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes purpose-driven entrepreneurs and game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by executive producer of Stanford Athletics, Beyond the Champions, radio show, and principal of Podfather Media, Tom Dioro. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. Thank you for our guest today. I'd like to welcome David Anthony D.A. Abrams, CAE Certified Association Executive, the CFP Board Managing Director for the Center for Financial Planning. DA's responsibilities include cultivating a quality workforce to ensure the profession can recruit and retain the talent it needs to grow by fostering more diverse financial planner workforce that reflects the changing demographics in the United States. DA is the immediate past Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer for the United States Tennis Association, USTA, a position he assumed and concluded prior to joining the CFP board. You can find them on the web. Feel free to visit at cfp.net. Again, that's cfp.net. DA, we're honored and excited to have you on the show. Thank you very much for being here. Tom, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. DA, like this, uh, as we talked about in our uh, digital green room, um, a quote or two that you have that uh, that mean much and, and matter to you. I'd love to hear them. So I have two, and uh, they're, they're a little different, but they both mean quite a bit to me. In fact, I used the second one today. So I'll start with the first one, and it is, you can't steal second base with your foot on first. It's virtually impossible. Now, I don't know, you know who the author is or the originator of that quote is, but uh, I certainly use it quite a bit. Uh, and the second quote, again, I just used this about an hour ago in a meeting, and it is, Great. if everyone is thinking alike, then someone isn't thinking. And I try to practice that. That, uh, for me, that really promotes open and honest dialogue uh, if folks understand that they don't necessarily have to be in full agreement with you uh, and likewise or, or, or vice versa. But uh, respectfully, you know, you can have dif- differing views. And I think you just get a lot more out of uh, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, discuss, accomplish, if you will. Excellent. Can you share with us a bit on the, 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 the second one where you don't have to have exactly the same views? I mean, of quoted it correctly, but I like that. And I think it's a, it's a a terrific segue. Well, you know, again, I won't get into too much detail, but I will say uh, about an hour ago, we're having a team meeting uh, and there's some difference of opinion and that's fine. I think uh, it's it's fine to, to voice those differences of opinion. Let's just be respectful. But if there's an environment where folks know that they can do that, they're going to be open and honest. And that everyone benefits from. You know, folks are just sort of going along to get along with what the boss says. Uh, You're not going to get much from that. So I really try to practice that, that not just the quote, but I really try to live by that. And that's, again, you know, if if everyone's thinking alike, then someone isn't thinking. 
Yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, it sounds like you also encourage that. Am I correct if I'm I wrong? I do encourage correct it. Me. I do encourage it. Yeah. I do encourage it. And um, it's been very beneficial uh, to me. And something <laughs> I tell you, Tom, if you were to perhaps attend this meeting that occurred about an hour ago, you'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going on there? But it works. It really works when people <laughs> feel like uh, they can speak their minds, respectfully, of course, but they, when they feel like they can do that, um, <laughs> that just, to me, has benefited me a great deal. I think there's a challenge when, when you know, let's say that the supervisor or the boss says, uh, listen, I'm looking for open and honest dialogue, and you can really tell that they're not, you're not gonna give the boss yeah. what he or she really needs to hear. But when folks know that they can do that, and it's a safe space, again, it has to be respectful. Um, you just get a lot more out of it. Yeah, if if you'd, uh, I'd love to hear y- your position that uh, you were with the chief diversity officer, chief diversity and inclusion officers for the United States Tennis Association. My thoughts are that sports translates into business quite well. In fact, life. What's your take on that? Well. Uh, I agree with you, and what I would say, certainly from a from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, and it's something I'll touch on later here. Whenever you can connect that work to what matters to the organization, it's a win-win for all. When you're unable to do that, it's you know people sort of wonder, well, why why are we doing this? But when you can show how utilizing diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies positively impact the bottom line, everyone is all ears. That win-win for all and it affecting the, the bottom line. In my belief, it's always been a, a, a part of the bottom line, but not everyone was aware of it and how important it is. Can you share why now more than ever there's a greater awareness and recognition for it? Well, I think, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I, what I would say is for organizations that, that thoroughly understand that leveraging diversity, equity, and inclusion for positive impact is a win-win um, for all, they, they clearly benefit. I'll, I'll give you an example here at the CFP board. At the CFP board, we have a couple of um, organizational goals. We have a number of organizational goals. Um, we have uh, clearly a goal to grow the number of CFP professionals, but we also have a goal to grow uh, the number of CFP professionals that just happen to be women. Uh, and then another goal to grow the number of CFP professionals that happen to be people of color. So think about this. If, uh, if you grow the latter two, you're gonna grow, you're gonna grow the, the, the general population but not only that, if you're increasing those numbers, you're going to, in my view at least, uh, increase uh, the number of potential clients by having more people of color, more people that are women that can service those clients. And that's not to say that if you're uh, black or a woman that you're only gonna go to a financial certified financial planner that uh, is in that demographic. It's not to say that, but what it does say particularly if you're working with a firm or thinking about working with a firm, is that, oh, this firm gets it. They, they get that this is important. Uh, and then for that reason, you may 
uh, it may be a nudge for you to work with uh, a financial planner from that firm, whether it be a person of color or a woman. You share with us for our audience that uh, is not as aware of what a CFP is, a certified financial planner, the adva- what, what it is and uh, what the advantages are. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to say it's the gold standard. I just want to call it the standard as, sure. it, as it relates to okay. uh, financial planning. In fact, the mission of the CFP board is to, to benefit the public by granting the CFP certification and upholding it as the recognized standard of excellence for competent and ethical uh, personal financial planning. So a financial planner, a certified financial planner, uh, is trained to uh, really help individuals with holistic financial planning. They're fiduciary, uh, which means they're acting in the best interests of the client at all times. And so uh, when I was in the market for someone to help me, our family, uh, with not just the managing of, of money, but also the proper insurances uh, to, to have, uh, what the allocations should be and all of that, uh, we certainly selected a certified financial planner. Uh, I mean, they have to go through a certain amount of education. Uh, there's a rigorous exam uh, that one must pass. Uh, there's ethics that one must adhere to. Um, so it's a really big deal. And again, I won't call it the gold standard. I'll call it the standard. I like that. Okay, it, this is a, a bit of a, I think, a deep question. And uh, you don't have to answer. But I'm curious, uh, D.A., if you can look back as far as you can and to where you are now, can you have seen or foretold where you would be in your position and why it would really matter to you? Even if, if you go back to being a kid, like there were just some things, maybe it's something a teacher said or a family member that if you look back at it, like, you know what, I kind of see why I am where I am and why I do what I do. Well, uh, I guess a couple things. Uh, I was very fortunate at a young age, one to play, to be introduced to the sport of tennis. Uh, And I'll say in playing tennis, it really, it really, it really operated for me, if you will, as a portal to life's opportunities. I mean, so many firsts have come uh, to me. (laughs) I experienced so many firsts as a result of playing tennis. So, so that was, that was big for me from, First job, first first uh, playing ride, you know, nationally uh, traveling across the country, playing tennis, and all of that. Um, I grew up in inner city Philadelphia, and as you would imagine, tennis is not the number one sport in in a community such as such as that. But but as a result of playing tennis, again, it it really served as a portal to life's opportunities for me. So that's that's that piece. Uh, the second piece would be. At a very young age, um, we had a teacher. I think his name was Mr. Smallback. I'll never forget him. And while uh, didn't quite understand what he was teaching us, he introduced not necessarily financial literacy or anything like that, but he introduced the sub, you know, the topic of uh, finance, the Wall Street Journal, uh, the stock market, the stock charts, 
And again, I just had an interest at a fairly young age uh, in stocks. Didn't know what it meant, but I had an interest in that. And as a result of that, when I went to a small college in Pennsylvania, I wanted to major in business, concentrated in accounting. And again, as a, as a result of that, um, my first job was in accounting. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I've always had an interest in uh, finance, if you will, and certainly had an interest in uh, sports. And just one thing has led to another for me. And, uh, you know, I'm always teased by, uh, by, by my friends saying that, you know, there's never been an opportunity that I didn't attempt to at least take advantage of. And that really has led me to what I'm doing today. And I would say, you know, with the mission of the CFP Board's Center for Financial Planning, I mean, the mission really, really speaks to me when you think about it. I mean, our mission is to create a more diverse and sustainable financial planning profession so that every American has access to competent and ethical financial planning advice. That's a, that, that's, that's a real difference maker if we're successful in achieving that mission. And I do believe that uh, we're making real strides. So listen, I get up in the morning thinking about that. I go to bed at night thinking about that. And I'm very fortunate to be in a job and in a position where um, I guess the mission uh, really speaks to me personally. Excellent. This is fascinating. You're listening to the Innovators Radio Show and Podcast in KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with D.A. Abrams, CAE, Managing Director for the Center for Financial Planning at the CFP Board. For more information, feel free to visit the website at cfp.net. Again, that's cfp.net. D.A., I like that, that it's very mission driven and it's not, you can hear it in your voice and you could see it in the organization. I've seen the website have gone through pretty extensively. Not very many organizations are very mission driven. I know they say it, but to actually feel it at a gut level, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's, it's kind of a gut level. And I wouldn't, I'm sure if I, uh, I met a, a number of people at the CFP board it would resonate with them as well. Why does it matter so much? Why does it mean so much to everyone? I think, I think it means quite a deal to, uh, to a number of folks because, it, one, I mean, if you just think about the CFP board and its mission, like, you know, they're granting the, set of the certification to benefit the public. Like, that's a big deal. That's really a big deal. And if you look at the subset, if you will, are a subset of the CFP board, and that's the Center for Financial Planning, uh, and what our aims are, and that's really to create a more diverse and sustainable financial planning profession. That again, that's a difference maker. Like if we if we're successful in doing that, it not only benefits uh, the individuals that get a chance to be fi certified financial planners, but ultimately it benefits the public. Again, by having an individual that can service them, that, ha that has had the proper experience or level of experience uh, that's really operating very ethical, um, that has that fulfilled that educational requirement and has passed a very rigorous exam. Like this is a real big deal and it makes a difference. When I, um, my, my previous role, uh, that was that was very special to me because I you know I played tennis, 
and it's special to a lot of folks. And I love tennis and will always love tennis. What we're doing right here at the CFP board, the Center for Financial Planning, uh, you know, I'm a part of an organization that really has an opportunity collectively uh, with others in the profession to, to enhance the profession for the good of the profession and the good of the public. I don't know if it gets any better than that. No, there are not many organizations, companies, or, or anything that has that uh, such a, a visceral level of uh, care uh, and, and inspiration. Where, what do you attribute that to? I mean, I'm sure there's, there's probably a reason, but you know, why did that matter so much to you, even choosing to be a part of the CFP board? Well, I, I'll, be, I'll be very, very uh, honest and frank with you. When I was thinking about pursuing this opportunity and, and competing for the position, what really attracted me to uh, the CFP board was the fact that, uh, in my view, the organization, not only now, but has been for a number of years, putting their money where their mouth is. There are a lot of organizations that say diversity and inclusion, increasing the number of women is important. Uh, but when you sort of uh, peel back the onion, it's kind of hard to see how the, if you will, how the the words are matching the actions. Whereas here, one of the first things that that I that I um, <clears throat> that I saw was that the organization has had diversity and inclusion related goals tied to compensation across the organization for a number of years. Not just one, more than one. And the other thing that I found, which was really incredible to me, was that the goals were really being driven by the CEO and his board of directors and not necessarily by the quote-unquote diversity and inclusion department. Oftentimes, you'll have the diversity, equity, and inclusion department, uh, you know, quarterbacking the effort, which is which is certainly uh, something that's a best practice. But they're pushing each and every year to try to get uh, the organization to have at least one diversity, equity, and inclusion goal. And it's like annually they have to sort of go back to the drawing board again and kind of come up with the reasons why the organization needs to do this or do that. Here, it's just not the case, which is pretty amazing to me. I mean, it really is. And it really keeps me quite excited about what I do for a living, knowing that the organization gets it, gets it. Now, there's things certainly, you know, we're not perfect, but they get that leveraging diversity, equity, and inclusion for positive business impact is crucial to the success, continued success of the organization. That speaks to me. Wow. They continue. It sounds like um, uh, there's a never-ending torch that's being handed off. I don't know if that's a little too graphic. Well, I like that. In fact, I might use okay. that you know, next time I talk about this time. <laughs> okay. okay, you're welcome <laughs> to. You. That's all I thought of, and I wasn't sure how you would, would take it, but I, I was just thinking of a, 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 like a 400-meter um, relay race um, where you've been four sprints and, and you have to hand the baton off and each person is going as fast as they can to ultimately, you know, win the race, but you, you've got to work together. And if you just drop the baton, one drop and that's it. If I correct, I don't think you can pick it back up. I think you? you can pick it back up. And sometimes organizations, okay. 
you know, they may drop the baton, but the fact is pick it back up and keep running. Like, don't stop running. Okay. And so, uh, again, <laughs> that uh, I think that's crucial. And really the support, not just the support, but the vision, the vision, the drive that I like to say comes from the corner office is second to none. And, um, again, it's what really keeps me um, excited about uh, what we're what we're hoping to do here. Now, I'm taking uh, notes, DA, here, and I've got from what you said, vision, drive, execution, and then the ability to adjust. That's important. I mean, that, that, that's really important. I would say uh, the ability to, to pivot, to, to iterate, to, to learn from, you know, what one uh, has been attempting to do, uh, that is really, really important. Because as we all know, uh, you know, listen, as a, as a, I'm going to say farmer because I, I still play tennis, but I'm more, I'm more, more, I mean, these days I'm more, more so play at tennis. But, you know, when I was playing tennis actively, uh, one of the things you would uh, kind of figure out quite, quite quickly was that oftentimes you would have to change your game up in order to be competitive. So you may go into the match, let's say back in the day, you know, serve and volley was a big thing. But if your opponent is just uh, <laughs> passing you every time that you come to the net, well, then you have to change that up if you want to uh, maintain competitive. And I think the same thing applies here. You may have goals and objectives. Uh, you may have strategies and tactics that you're implementing, uh, but perhaps they're not quite working. So let's not stop. Let's just retool. Let's pivot. Let's iterate. Uh, let's pick the baton up, if you will, and let's get back at it. Wow. This is, this is, I know I said it before, but this is fascinating. This is also the Innovators radio show and podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with D.A. Abrams, CAE, Managing Director for the Center for Financial Planning at the CFP Board. For more information, feel free to visit their website at cfp.net. Again, that's cfp.net. And we're going to uh, provide an acknowledgement for the CFP Board. The Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. CFP professionals meet rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and are committed to serving their clients' best interests today to prepare them for a more secure tomorrow. For more information, you can go to that website at cfp.net. Again, DA, what, what uh, this just came up yesterday, talking about um, phrases or acronyms or, or quotes, is um, intelligent evolution. I'm curious if, if you want to take a have a go at what that means. It's uh, I made it up, really. I don't even know if it worked. That, but that, intelligent that, evolution. That doesn't surprise me that you that you made it up. I've already stole one term from you. <laughs> Thank you, T. So, what does that uh, mean to me? Uh, well, one, you you have to continue to evolve. But in my view, if you could do it, uh, if it could be fact based evolution. Uh, again, I'm just now hearing this term. To me, that would that seems to be fairly prudent to me. So not just evolving for the sake of evolving, but you know, it's based off of experience. It's based off of perhaps research. It's based off of uh, uh, predictive analytics, if you will, where where things are going. Using your head uh, as you elevate. 
<laughs> you said it much better than I did. <laughs> but thank you very much. This is the first. This was. This is the first that it's actually been said in, in the public world forum. So thank you, Dave. The uh, can you share with us some experience back to that mission driven? Um, some experiences where people, individuals, companies weren't aware of what the the a CFP did and how they changed their understanding and how it actually benefited them. You don't have to name names or companies, but if you can just share an experience or two, if you'd like, I'd love to hear it. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll speak to that, but from more of a diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, standpoint. Sure. And I would say, you know, some years ago, I think 2018 to be exact, uh, we uh, did a research project to really look at uh, perhaps the barriers as well as the areas of opportunity of uh, mainly uh, blacks and Hispanics or Latinos as it relates to the financial planning profession. And some of the, what I would call the best practices that I would say are universal among those that are, that, that are getting it right uh, and serve as learning opportunities for those that are perhaps early on in their, um, in their uh, I guess, road to becoming more diverse and equitable would be, <clears throat> would be as follows. Uh, one, those organizations or firms that were able to clearly articulate the business case for diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion, and really really being able to communicate that throughout the firm. Uh, they seem to meet with some success. I mean, a couple of things, couple obvious things that may not be so obvious would be that the demographics are shifting. Uh, the number or percentage of people of color is increasing and continues to increase. Uh, but then the other thing is the buying power among uh, those under, underrepresented groups. I mean, it's in the trillions. And I don't think that a lot of individuals or, or, or organizations actually think of the second part of the equation, and that's the buying power annually. I mean, we're talking trillions of dollars. So for me and for organizations that, that thoroughly understand this, uh, if it's that much money on the table, it just makes good business sense to try to go after uh, these segments of the population. So that's something that seems to to work. The other thing that I would say is once one understands the business case, really coming up with a, a DE&I strategic plan. And I would say, uh, unlike or, or, or maybe like financial planning, ensuring that it's a holistic plan, one that covers uh, folks that are in the workforce or folks that you're trying to attract to the workforce and not just attracting them to the workforce, but developing them. Uh, and then working very hard to retain them. That would be important. Uh, but then the second one is even more important in my view, because if you can attract uh, these underrepresented groups and these women to uh, the workplace, if the workplace, if you will, is not a welcoming workplace or they don't feel a sense of belonging, well, the retention is out the door. They're out. They're not going to stay. Uh, the community, I think, is pretty important as well, and certainly the marketplace. You know, as I as I talked about the trillions of dollars annually. Now, you're not going to get all of that, but if you can just get a small percentage of that 
and you can attract them to the services uh, that you're offering. Uh, that's, I mean, that's just a lot of, a lot of money. Again, that was certainly tied to, um, to the bottom line. The third one I would say is, particularly if it's a small uh, firm, you, you may not have the resources to have a chief diversity and inclusion officer or director of diversity and inclusion, but there has to be someone in that organization uh, that is responsible for driving uh, this strategic plan. It just has to be someone that's going to quarterback the effort, but at the same time, ensuring that across the firm, no matter how small or large it is, that there is an all-hands-on-deck approach to the success of, uh, of the organization from a DE&I standpoint. And then like one way to do that, you know, I mentioned it earlier, is that at the CFP board, you know, we, we, have, a, we have an organization-wide, in fact, we have two organization-wide DE&I-related goals that are, tied to court, that are tied to compensation. That certainly is one way and one very strong way to ensure that folks are pretty committed to, to making that happen. And then evaluating and measuring performance against the goals. Again, they have to be, in my view, established goals. And then as we talked a little earlier, uh, just understanding that you're going to have to iterate, you're going to have to retool, you're going to have to pivot sometimes. Uh, as Mike Tyson once said, everybody, what is that? Everybody goes into the room with a plan until they get hit. <laughs> and, yes. And when you're, yes, I Yeah, when you're practicing DE&I, sometimes <laughs> you're going to get hit, but uh, you have to yes. be able to, uh, to pivot. And then last thing that I would say is whatever you're doing from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, you just have to ensure that it's connected to what matters to the firm, what matters to the organization. And for those firms that are, and again, I'm, I don't want to give any uh, particular names, but uh, there, there are many firms that, that are really doing all of this and more. And there are many more firms that are learning from the firms that are getting it right. So uh, it's never, never too late to, uh, to, to begin to leverage diversity, equity, and inclusion for positive business impact. DA, is there anything that you'd like to share with, uh, with your audience today that we may not have uh, touched on? Uh, well, the only thing that I would want to reiterate is that, uh, you know, the, the CFP certification is, uh, is the standard. And when one is looking for a financial planner, uh, I believe it to be prudent to not just look for uh, but employ the services of a certified financial planner. DA, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much. Well, Tom, thank you. And uh, again, you provided me with a couple things that I'll give you credit for when I repeat them, at least the first <laughs> couple you. times. But then after that, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take credit yours. for it. <laughs> They're all yours, DA. They are all yours. Well, thank you very much for, for even considering that. As a, it's, it's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Innovators Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been D.A. Abrams, CAE, Certified Association Executive, and the CFP Board Managing Director for the Center for Financial Planning. D.A. is the immediate past Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer for the United States Tennis Association, a position he assumed and concluded prior to joining 
the CFP board. For more information, feel free to visit cfp.net. Again, cfp.net. Join us again next time when we welcome another mission-driven entrepreneur, thought leader, or game changer committed to smart ideas, innovation, and entrepreneurship well executed. I'm Tom Dior. Thank you. The Innovators radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and on location. The audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos and chief engineer Mark Lawrence. And the executive producer of The Innovators is Tom Dioro.